center of the universe. He's the welcome to Thrive Time with Dr. Z and Blake Clock 2. They can tell you all of the rules. We started from the bottom, now we hit. We started from the bottom and we'll show you how to get here. We started from the bottom, now we hit. We started from the bottom, now we Welcome back to the Thrive Time Show. My name is Clay Clark. I'm the former USSBA Entrepreneur of the Year, and I am joined here with my partner, Dr. Robert Zellner. And Z, we are interviewing an incredible guest today, my friend. Dan the Man. Yes, Dan Heath. Uh, and, and Dan, this is something that you might uh, find interesting. Uh, I have attended a local mega church, and uh, one of the senior pastors at this church, he says, you have to read this book. And that book was made to stick. And that's how I first got introduced to your writing. So uh, apparently pastors of mega churches like what you are writing. Wow. Yeah, it's not it's not often that people discover our work in church. So that's that's good to hear. Yeah. So it's been a it's a book I reference at least once a week and, and it's powerful. So if you're out there and you're wanting to become a more effective speaker or more effective uh, copywriter or advertiser, I'd encourage you to check out the book made to stick. But since then, you've actually been working on this book. You released this book called The Power of Moments. And for our listeners out there that aren't familiar with the, the, your newest book, The Power of Moments, can you share what this book is is, is all about and what, what inspired you to write this book? Absolutely. I mean, in one word, The Power of Moments is a book about experience. It's about how do we create better experiences for the people we serve, you know, our customers, our patients, our students? Uh, how do we create better experiences for our kids and for ourselves in life? And, and the starting place for this book is something you might think of as the Disney paradox, which anybody that's ever been to a theme park before, I think, can relate to this. And what I mean by that is that if we were to track your happiness levels on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, you know, during your time at Disney World, let's say, my guess is that the vast majority of those measurements would actually be worse at the theme park than they would have been if you were sitting on your couch at home. So hot right? because on the surface they're, they're, of the sun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's blazing hot. It's humid. There are these 45-minute lines to ride like a, a two-minute Dumbo ride you would have preferred not to be on at the begin with. It's expensive and the traffic back and forth and the parking. And yet there are a couple of things that will happen at the theme park that will be memorable, right? Your kids will light up over some ride that they rode or, you know, one of the characters will come by and you'll take a picture you'll be looking at for 20 years or uh, you'll have one of those moments as a parent where you're just, you know, reveling in the joy of having this child. And those couple of moments, they may be a minority of the day. They might be 15 minutes out of an eight-hour day. And yet, a year later, if you look back and you say, hey, how was your trip to Disney World? You know what you're going to say? You say, it was amazing. It was right. one of the highlights of the year. And so that's the paradox that I'm talking about, how in the moment, an experience can feel one way, and yet we feel very different about it looking back. And I think the significance of that, the kind of takeaway lesson is that when we talk about improving experience, what we're really talking about are creating moments. And in the book, we call them peak moments, that great experiences hinge on peak moments. 
And so the book is really an attempt to figure out how do we create more of these memorable, meaningful peaks. You know, uh, this for me is a peak moment because I've read your stuff and I am so, I just, uh, the, the, the level of research that you put into your books, that you and your brother put into your books, is absolutely, and I mean this with all due respect, it's insane. It's maniacal. It's intense. I mean, it is detailed. You guys obsess about an idea, and you have so much data to support what you're saying. I just want to ask you this. Do you remember the, the moment where you were and the impactful moment where you thought, I need to write a book called The Power of Moments? Did you, did you hit your head on the toilet seat after watching <laughs> Back to the Future? Uh, what, what, where, what is, because you, I mean, when you write a book, you guys aren't screwing around. I mean, these aren't these charlatan, half-researched, half-baked books. I mean, you guys go deep, and that's what makes your book so powerful. I mean, you're just, you guys really go deep. What inspired you to write this book? You know, we actually have a, a perfectly identifiable moment for this book, which I guess is appropriate, giving the subject. But um, it happened one Christmas, a couple of years back, when Chip and I were together at our parents' house. And, and as we often do, we had squirreled ourselves away in, in our dad's office to, to talk about what we were working on. And we walked in the office that day with a, a different book idea. In fact, we'd been working on this particular idea for probably six or eight months by that point. And it, it was one of those things that had just become a bit of a slog. You know, we had done enough work where we were really reluctant to let it go. And yet I don't think either one of us were super excited about it. And so at some point in this conversation, and I can't remember how this came up, but the phrase defining moments popped out. And so I think mainly as an attempt to procrastinate our real work, we just started brainstorming <laughs> about this topic. And, you know, uh, we were talking about the Olympic medal ceremony and just what a beautiful, patriotic, emotional moment that is. And the fact that somebody designed that at some point in human history. And, and we talked about political defining moments, you know, these weird things that just catch on like the that Howard Dean screams one night at a rally and suddenly he's thought to be a lunatic, you know, it's just the weirdest or, you know, George Bush senior, uh, you know, expressed surprise at a UPC scanner and all of a sudden he's terminally out of touch. These kind of weird stand in moments that take on a life of their own. Right. And yeah. So anyway, we end up brainstorming about this topic for two hours and just we're filling up page after page of a word document with associations and research links and what have you. And we, kind of come out triumphantly after all this and parade ourselves into the living room where the rest of the family is. And we say, we've got a new book idea. And, and when we announced this, this kind of moments idea, cause we knew it instantly as soon as we hit on it, uh, the whole family just, they had this visible sense of relief on their faces because apparently none of them liked the old idea and they were just too polite <laughs> to tell us. Dan, Dr. Z here. I, I have five brothers. So um, how is that the dynamics? That's a, that's of, a lot of books. It's a lot. Uh, it's a lot of books. Yeah, a lot, yeah. a lot of books. I'm not sure I could sit down and write a book with either one of them, though. You know, um, but uh, how does that dynamic work? I mean, uh, you know, it's awful close, and yet you guys, is there a lot of tension? Do you guys work real well together? I mean, you guys ever, you know, go, go in the cage fight? I mean, you guys <laughs> <laughs> walk, walk me know, through that a little bit. I, I think our, our secret sauce is that we're 10 years apart. So I'm uh, I'm 45, and Chip is about to turn 55, and so. Mm -hmm. You know, growing up, we never had that classic kind of brotherly rivalry. You know, it would yeah. have been pointless, you know, for him to really pick a fight as a 15-year-old with a 5-year-old. Like, you know, you're pretty much going to win every every contest. Um, you know, and so we didn't we didn't really have that. And, and in fact, we didn't have much of a relationship, you know, because he was off at college by the sure. time I was 8 years old. And so 
this really has become our relationship as adults, this, this chance to work on these big, interesting, meaty projects together. I, I guess some some brothers fix up cars together and we write these weird psychology business books. I think it's very cool. So how did you guys come up with the idea for, for you two to write a book? I mean, um, you guys were sitting around one day in the man cave and said, hey, bro, let's write a book. I mean, how'd that happen? <laughs> 100% serendipity. I mean, it, 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 if, if life had gone on as normal, we never would have. But we had a very fortunate stroke of luck. And that was uh, years ago, Chip had begun to research what makes urban legends stick? And I know we're going to talk about sticky ideas later, but yeah. he had written a journal article just explaining, you know, these crazy ideas, you know, uh, you know, somebody found a rat in their bucket of Kentucky fried chicken. And that's what I mean by urban legend. Uh, why do these ideas seem to spread so effortlessly? And what is it about them that makes them sticky? And he'd written up some of his early research and in a journal, you know, it wasn't wasn't anywhere with a big readership. But somehow an editor at Random House named Ben Lennon. Uh, happened to see the piece and thought it was interesting and called up Chip and basically asked him, you know, do you think there's a book here in this material? And uh, and Chip got excited about it. And, and later on, he called me up and asked if I wanted to, to join the project because between the two of us, I'm more of the writer and he's more of the researcher. Uh, and, and so my feeling was, you know what, if, if Random House is asking, the answer is yes. Yeah, absolutely. We're sure. going to get a book out of this. And that's the book that became Made to Stick. And we did it really for ourselves. I mean, we, we loved the material and we thought it'd be fun to write a book. And we figured it would sell 28 copies and we would go back to our lives having done <laughs> I'm glad this, you this sold book. at least 29 copies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, it just kind of blew our minds when it came out and like, a week after or a couple of days after it comes out, we're on the Today Show and we're in Time magazine. And needless to say, that was not part of any of our grand schemes. And and so the success of that book kind of opened a lot of doors for us. And um, and we've just enjoyed the hell out of it. We, we love the process of researching and writing and talking about what we've learned. And and so it's really become a career. Well, you know, in your in your newest book here, The, the Power of Moments, you write, our relationships are stronger when we perceive that our partners are responsive to us. Responsiveness encompasses three things. Understanding, my partner knows how I see myself and what is important to me. Validation, my, my partner respects who I am and what I want. Caring, my partner takes active and supportive steps in helping me meet my needs. Can you share with the listeners what you mean by this? Because this is some profound observations that you guys have put together here. Yeah, to be clear, this is the, uh, the the research of a guy named Harry Reese who spent his career researching what makes relationships grow stronger. And and what's fascinating about this is is Harry Reese has looked at marriages, he's looked at friendships, he's looked at business partnerships, and what he's proposing here is that there's a kind of universal truth about stronger relationships, and it's what you just shared, what he calls responsiveness, uh, which, where the three parts are understanding, validation, and caring. And And what we talk about in the book is how Many of the moments that we remember in life are moments that draw us closer to other people. And so we're trying to describe, you know, these memorable moments where we really felt like we emerged more bonded, closer to someone than, than when we started. What are those moments made of? And what we're arguing is that Harry Reese has the secret, that it's this quality of responsiveness that creates big, powerful moments. So I'll give you one example. We tell the story in the book of this um, – this elementary school in Washington, D.C. I mean, it's literally one of the worst elementary schools in the country. It's called Stanton. 
um, just abysmal test scores. And, and so, in fact, it, it's so bad that, that the district kind of reclaims it and, and uh, fires management, brings in an outside party to run the place. And so what happens is in year one, they get new management, they get a bunch of new teachers, they, they overhaul the school, they redo the paint colors, they put pennants on the wall, they get new curriculum. Essentially, it's a, it's a brand new school and test scores actually go down after all that, oh. all that work. Uh, they come back for year two, and the one thing that changes is in the summer before year two, they start this this kind of curious new practice they call a home visit. And all it means is that a teacher, you know, let's say a first grade teacher, goes to visit the the parents of of each of his or her students in their homes. And when they get to the homes, they just ask a series of four questions. They don't bring you know, promotional materials. They don't bring documents. They don't bring checklists to sign. They're just there to ask a couple of questions. And, you know, one of them is, what are your dreams for your child? And uh, what do we need to know to teach uh, your kid better? And what were your educational experiences like? And what do you wish had been different? And th- these conversations, you, you wouldn't think that an hour spent in someone's home would be relevant in, in a school year that lasts nine months and, you know, uh, runs across hundreds and hundreds of instructional hours. All right, Thrive Nation, we return our interview with Dan Heath, the best-selling author of four incredible books. If, you have not, if you're not familiar with Dan Heath and Chip Heath and their best-selling books, you definitely want to check them out during the break. And we come back from the break, we're breaking down their newest best-selling book. Again, we have Dan Heath, the New York Times best-selling author, and he is breaking down his newest book. Stay tuned. It's the Thrive Time Show on your radio. Get ready to enter the Thrive Time Show. Now we're on the top, teaching you the systems to get what we got. Cutting Dixon's on the hooks, I break down the books. Z's bringing some wisdom and the good looks. As the father of five, that's why I'm a dive. So if you see my wife and kids, please tell them hi. It's the C and Z up on your radio. And now three, two, one, here we go. Thrive Nation, pretty of you just now tuning in. Today we have an opportunity, a rare opportunity, to interview the unique and the best-selling author of this book called The Power of Moments. Also the best-selling author of Made to Stick. Also the best-selling author of Switch and Decisive. It's Dan Heath, the New York Times best-selling author. Both he and his brother, it's Dan and Chip. They write all the books together. These guys are a a tag-team duo, Chip. They've written four best-selling books, and he's breaking it, breaking down his newest book, The Power of Moments. These are some busy brothers, man. Like They, they get stuff done. Busy brother. A lot of brothers are, are dysfunctional. They don't yeah. get along. These guys get together and write books. And for those of you just tuning in, he's explaining to us how one school system that was underfunded in a rough area was able to absolutely revolutionize the relationship they have between parents and teachers simply by creating, defining moments that connected and resonated with the parents of the students that attended the school right. these using in-home school visits. So without any further ado, our exclusive interview with Dan Heath, the best-selling author of The Power of Moments. Stay tuned. And yet 
everybody dates the turnaround to Stanton to that practice. They said even in the first week of school, you could detect the difference. You know, these students come in and where the year before it was just almost nonstop pandemonium in terms of discipline. All of a sudden, the students are lining up appropriately. And, and the explanation is that this moment was, was just a gangbuster moment of responsiveness, that for the first time, these parents felt listened to. They felt taken seriously. And that spillover effect affected their investment in their child's education. They start showing up for PTA meetings. They start volunteering for duty. And it also spills over into the student's attitude towards school. And so that's an example of how just a moment, you know, an hour of time out of a school year when properly designed can have just a massive effect. You know, uh, just to validate what uh, what you're saying there, Dan, I went to, to Elephant in the Room, one of our companies. It's a, it's a men's grooming lounge. Uh, we had somebody who had a question about their schedule, and they felt like they weren't being heard. And, you know, a lot of times if you send an email into a big company, you don't know if it's being responded to. And I just happened to be... Uh, nearby. And uh, Eric, one of our, our, our show hosts, was there when he read the email. We saw the email in our team meeting today. But it meant the world to her that I just was in the area and I stopped by to verify that I received the email. And it might not seem like a big deal, but that moment you could, I heard so many people say, you just coming into the store and verifying that, you know, you got that email, even though you were just in the area for her, it made the biggest, it, it was a big uh, uh, pendulum shift for her. And all week we've been hearing about that. And so I would just tell you, if you're out there and you're a business owner, um, those, these moments really do matter. And that's why um, there, there was an excerpt that you guys posted of your book, The Moments, uh, The Power of Moments in Fast Company, where it said, uh, moments are not created equal. Our experiences are mostly forgettable and occasionally remarkable. But those remarkable moments don't create themselves. What if we didn't just remember the standout moments of our lives and work but made them? The, the, the idea that you could make these moments, that you could be intentional about these, that's the part that stood out to me. Can you share maybe for all the business owners out there that are going, okay, okay, I, I believe in this idea, but how do I actually get this working for me? Can you talk about how you can intentionally create moments that matter? Yes, and I think maybe the best case study to start with is a hotel in Los Angeles called the Magic Castle Hotel. And so if you've never stayed there, not a very big place. Just picture in your mind what the Magic Castle Hotel looks like. I like it already. And let me tell you, it looks nothing like what you're imagining. <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, what this place actually is, uh, is a 1950s era apartment complex, two story. It's like the kind of place you might have stayed off campus in college to save some money. Uh, it was later converted to use as a motel, painted bright yellow. Very, very average place. I mean, it looks like a well-kept budget motel. The rooms are average. The lobby is average. It's got a pool that's like the, you know, a little smaller than your neighbor's backyard pool. Uh, And so why am I talking about this place? Well, a surprising fact is that this place I'm talking about is currently ranked as the number two hotel in all of Los Angeles on TripAdvisor. We're looking at it right now. We're looking at it right now on the big screen in the man cave so we can we can see what you're describing here. And you, my friend, have described it to the T. Continue, my friend. So how in the world, I mean, you're, you're looking at the pictures of this, and right. I encourage all the listeners to do the same. When you see this, your mind will explode. How could this place possibly <laughs> outrank the Ritz-Carlton yeah. and the Four Seasons and and the, the answer is they figured out the power of moments. So one of my favorite examples is by this kind of average pool I was talking about, there's a cherry red phone mounted on the wall. And just above it is a sign that says Popsicle Hotline. 
And you can pick up the phone. Someone answers Popsicle Hotline. We'll be right out. And within minutes, somebody comes out wearing a suit. Uh, They're holding a silver tray loaded up with grape and cherry and orange popsicles. They deliver them to you right there at poolside, wearing gloves like an English butler. All that for free. They have a snack menu where you can go up to the front desk and ask for Cracker Jacks or Sour Patch Kids or Root Beer or Cream Soda or M&Ms, all for free, just for the asking. You can check out board games. They have a board game menu and they have a movie menu. They'll do your laundry if you drop it off in the morning. They've got magicians doing tricks in the lobby several times a week. And so when I describe this whole side of the Magic Castle to you, I mean, now you can start to understand how, especially a family, you know, vacationing in Southern California, how you might just straight up choose the Magic Castle over the Ritz-Carlton. And the reason is because you know you have an instinct that a year later, you know, you're not going to remember the marble furnishings in the Ritz-Carlton. What you're going to remember is, you're not going to believe this, but there's a phone by the pool where you can pick it up and somebody will bring popsicles out to you. I mean, that's the power of moments. I uh, and, and, I, I will tell you, for all the listeners out there who are saying, okay, I, I want to see this, Chep, uh, Eric Chep, our, our, our show observer here, he's going to add links to all these different photos so everyone can see the Popsicle hotline, so they can see the... The pool, which I would say is definitely average. At best. Uh, yeah, at best. See, that was kind of mean. It was definitely a good two and a half star. It's a good well, two. No, but that just goes to show you could take a facility that looks like this right. and add the moments to it, which is just an incredible story. I mean, it just lightens, it's just so awesome. So and, I, w- I want to ask you this here, uh, you know, Dan, w- what's your process for writing a book? A book? Actually, I could, could, I, could I just yeah. add one more thought yeah. for the business owners out there? I, yeah, no, do I, it. I don't, I don't want to leave them with the thought that, oh, we need something wacky like the Popsicle hotline. No, yeah. Like I imagine there's people out there in the shipping business or, you know, IT consulting or whatever, and they're thinking, well, that doesn't relate to me. But here's how it relates is in, in our world, especially in the business world, the way we think we're going to make experiences better is that we think we can solve problems. You know, you want to make an experience better, what do you do? You take a survey of your clients or customers, you pay attention to what they're complaining about, and you fix those things, right? I mean, it makes sense. All right, Thrive Nation, today we are interviewing New York Times bestselling author Dan Heath about his most recent book, The Power of Moments. We get back from the break, more audio as he breaks down The Power of Moments. But during the break, I encourage you to check out one of our incredible show sponsors, a company by the name of End quote. If you're looking to transcri- transcribe your audio, once again, transcribe your audio. Easy for me to say. Check out endquote.net today. And now broadcasting live from the box that rocks, it's the Thrive Time Business Coach Radio Show. Top of high of learning and high of earning. Taking you to the top like we're hiking Mount Vernon. We're changing the mindsets like we're incense burning. Passing on the magic like our name was Irvin. Serving up that knowledge like I was a servant. I cite what I say so you know I'm not a servant. A thrive time show, bringing the heat while fervent. Giving it to you straight in the world that swerves. Stacking the cash, making the dash. Earning the plaques, bringing it back. Bring me the track so I can get up on the mic and speak the facts. Stacking the cash, making the dash. Earning the plaques, bringing it back. Bring me the track so I can get up on the mic and speak the facts. All right, Thrive Nation, welcome back to the Thrive Time Show on your radio and podcast download, where today we have an exclusive interview with Chip Heath's brother, Dan Heath, the best-selling author of four books. Dan and Chip Heath write books together, four of which who have been best-selling books. They've written Decisive, Switch, 
made to stick. And now their latest book, The Power of Moments. And so at this point during the interview, uh, uh, Dan is explaining to us why it's simply not good enough just to respond to complaints, but why you actually have to be proactive about creating memorable moments in the minds of your ideal and likely buyers. So now without any further ado, our exclusive interview with New York Times bestselling author Dan Heath. Stay tuned. Uh, and yet, addressing complaints is not to be confused with winning affection. You know, if you think about the Magic Castle story, imagine if a manager had, had inherited that place uh, before they got into the moments business. And imagine that the manager had said, you know, by God, every guest that stays here, we're going to survey them, we're going to pay attention to their feedback, we're going to listen to what they're complaining about, and if they say the pillows are too hard, we're going to get softer pillows. And if they say the lamps are too bright, we're going to get dimmer bulbs. And there's no way that the problem-solving hotel gets to number two on the TripAdvisor list. And, and that's really the bottom line for this, is that you know we can't problem-solve our way to a great experience. Great experiences hinge on peak moments. I would say that what, what you're saying, uh, from, from my experience as a business coach and someone who's helped a lot of brands, is 100% true. I, I think about uh, Chick-fil-A, a client that I've coached over the years. I mean, they hand people, uh, they hand young kids a balloon when they get there. They have a, a, a cow, a large cow that's in the uh, in, in all the stores. Uh, what does that cost to have a large person dressed up as a cow mascot? Right. I don't know what that costs, but kids go there. My kids, I have five kids. They all want to go back because of that. Uh, there's a, a local pediatric dentist in Tulsa called Mo Dr. Morrow and Lie, and uh, they have a huge aquarium in the middle of the pediatric dentistry, and they have video games for the kids, and they offer beverages and that kind of thing. And kids come back because it's memorable, and it gets stuck in your head, and absolutely it, it works. And I, I, I want to ask you this because you guys, when you, when you hear you know, academia, academia, you hear about Stanford, you start to hear your academic background. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are thinking, this is going to be the most boring book of my life. I couldn't possibly <laughs> read this. It's so theoretical. But you guys write in a very conversational tone. So I want to ask you, what's your process for writing books? Because your books don't come across as highbrow Ron Burgundy reading business books that are don't uh, you know it doesn't come across like that to the to the reader, but yet uh, I think with, with your academic background, a lot of people might think that it that it would talk about your your process for writing books that are so applicable for entrepreneurs. Yeah, thanks for saying that. Yeah. I mean, w what we're constantly trying to do is we're trying to accomplish three things at once, and so we we find ourselves spending a lot of time just iterating between these three points. One is. We want to make sure there's evidence for the things we're saying. And, and you know, there's not always going to be randomized control trials for this stuff. A lot of it's, a lot of it's subtle. A lot of it is, um, you know, not the kind of thing that academics study. So we do the best we can to find pockets of evidence where we can, whether that's real-world case studies or, or academic research. The second thing is we want there to be stories to carry the message because – there's a reason why, you know, people aren't subscribing to academic journals uh, in their free time, that nobody wants to read that stuff. You know, nobody <laughs> has the time for it. Um, some people don't have the expertise to get through all the statistics. And so we want to find stories that carry the message. Uh, and and that's what makes a book readable is the stories. You know, and it's also the hardest part of writing is finding, you know, those stories that will just keep you flipping the pages. And then third and then ultimately we want our books to be practical. You know, we're not ashamed to say our books are how-to books, uh, that if, if somebody gets all the way through one of our books and doesn't have ideas about how to make their life better or their business better, 
uh, you know, we, we failed. That's, that's what we set out to do. And so that's our process is just to figure out what's the intersection of those three circles. Where's the evidence? Where are the stories? And, and are the lessons practical? And if we can do all of those three things, then, then we think we've got a book. If you'll allow me to uh, put you on the hot seat here, because uh, you, your, your book made to stick. It's, it's, I'm not sure how many pages are in the book. I can say that, but I've dog-eared pretty much all of them. And you lay out this, this idea, this concept for getting your ideas stuck in the heads of your ideal and likely buyers, your audience, your congregation, your, whoever you're, you're speaking to. And you lay it out using S-U-C-C-E-S. That, that, that's the method you laid out. And you talked about, first off, to get your ideas to stick in the minds of other people. In your book, Made to Stick, you talk about they have to be simple. Can you help all the entrepreneurs? We have so many entrepreneurs I've tried to help over the years um, write, let's say, advertising copy or to come up with a business model that's different from the competition. And simplicity you know, ultimately scales, whereas complexity fails. Can you talk about your method for simplifying the ideas that our listeners are trying to communicate to their ideal likely buyers? Yes. And let me just one quick technical timeout. I got a warning from Skype a minute or two ago saying something about poor internet connection. Your, your listeners are having a hard time hearing you. Could you check with your producer and make sure, you know, I'm coming through. Okay. You had one little spot that you, uh, faded out, but it was, it was about, it was just a second. 15, I'll, I'll 10, 15 end, seconds. So it sounds great there. Yeah. We're, we're, we broadcast from the center of the moon. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So let me pick up on, with your question. If you could just edit that little. I will absolutely out. edit out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so first let me say success, this, uh, this almost perfect acronym, you know, if, if we would have just had one more S we would have had the full word success, but instead we have this truncated success. Uh, let me tell you what those things stand for. And then we can kind of tick through them one by one. So a sticky idea is simple, unexpected, concrete, credible, emotional, and it's often told as a story. So your question was about simplicity. And I think our version of simplicity doesn't mean dumbing down. What it means is, is more like in the army, they have this great strategy for creating battle plans. And, and so some quick backstory here, you know, the, the old expression, no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. That was essentially what the army had learned is that they spent massive amounts of time and resources developing these elaborate battle plans and very quickly they would be rendered obsolete by the enemy's actions. And so in the 80s, there was this kind of reform movement to figure out how do we create more useful battle plans. And part of that reform was that they added something called the commander's intent okay. to the top of their battle plans. And and the idea of the commander's intent was to specify in kind of plain talk language what the intention of the plans was. Thrive Nation, when we return from the break, New York Times bestselling author Dan Heath breaks down his newest book, The Power of Moments. But before we go to the break, I would encourage you and everybody out there to check out our good friends at the Classic Clean Dot com. That's the classicclean.com. This is the janitorial service of choice for Google, for DuPont, for Dr. Robert Zellner, for the Thrive Time Show, for a lot of huge companies. And they should be the janitorial service of choice for you, too. Go to classic, it's theclassicclean.com. Again, go to theclassicclean.com. That's theclassicclean.com during the break. Stay tuned. 
facts No negative emotion Cause that's what business is Always dominate Cause I got five kids I will not lose I don't break but bruise They can talk about me I can take that abuse Here is the truth While they make that excuse I'll be up grinding Cause the scoreboard's the truth He is my mentor Like my Yoda dude He showed me the force Like I was a young loser All right, Thrive Nation, welcome back to the Thrive Time Show on your radio, where today the New York Times bestselling author Dan Heath stops on by to break down the principles he teaches in his New York Times bestselling book, Made to Stick. If you're out there and you've ever struggled to get your ideas to stick into the minds of your ideal and likely buyers, if you've ever felt like you're uh, speaking in a way that's not connecting with your customers, if you've ever had frustration writing ads, giving public speeches, writing sales scripts. This this is absolutely a, a show you don't want to miss. So now with any further ado, Dan Heath, the New York Times bestselling author of Made to Stick, breaks down why ideas need to be simple if they are going to stick into the minds of your ideal and likely buyers, and a little bit of the meat and potatoes found in his book, Made to Stick. Stay tuned. And, and so some quick backstory here. You know, the, the old expression, no battle plan survives contact with the enemy, th- that was essentially what the Army had learned, is that they spent massive amounts of time and resources developing these elaborate battle plans, and very quickly they would be rendered obsolete by th- the enemy's actions. And so in the 80s, there was this kind of reform movement to figure out how do we create more useful battle plans. And part of that reform was that they added something called the commander's intent okay. to the top of their battle plans. And and the idea of the commander's intent was to specify in kind of plain talk language wh- what the intention of the plans was. So, you know, at, at high levels of the army, the commander's intent might sound like break the will of the enemy in the southeast region. And then, you know, a couple levels down, when you start to get closer to the ground troops, it might sound like, uh, my intent is to have 3rd Battalion on Hill 4305 to have the hill cleared of enemy with only ineffective remnants remaining so we can protect the flank of 3rd Brigade as they pass through the line. So what that tells you is if all of the specifics in the plan become irrelevant, at least you know what was behind them, what the intent was. And the way that they get to the commander's intent is they ask themselves you know, simple questions. If we do nothing else during tomorrow's mission, we must blank. The single most important thing that we must do tomorrow is blank. And and I think that there is a direct analogy between that and what it's like to be an effective communicator, that, that as communicators, we should be able to fill in that blank and say, the single most important thing that my audience must understand and remember is blank. And that may sound simple, but but I'll tell you, my experience is that 99% of communications aren't structured that way. If we really knew what our core message was and we really took that seriously, I mean, we would be spending, you know, half of every PowerPoint deck and, you know, half of the airtime in every speech and 50 percent of the word count in every email just reinforcing that one point, you know. And instead what you find is the PowerPoint becomes a kind of everything but the kitchen sink. It's like all the all the interesting points that we want to make around a certain topic get piled into one master PowerPoint, and all of a sudden the commander's intent gets buried in that onslaught. And so what's hard about simplicity 
uh, to wrap this up is that we have to prioritize that simplicity is painful precisely because we have to leave some ideas behind that may be interesting and may be useful, but just aren't the most interesting and useful that we need to communicate. You know, Dan, my, my partner, uh, Dr. Zellner, is the master of unexpected advertising. Of being simple? Uh, no, no. He, no. no, he's like a, the leading optometrist <laughs> in northeastern Oklahoma. And he just, I mean, he's he, he brings a marketing uh, perspective that people don't expect. And with his auto auction, it's the same thing. With the bank he invested in, it's the same thing. It's each business, it's it's unexpected, the, his, his unorthodox approach to marketing. Um, in your book, Made to Stick, you talk about the importance of being unexpected. Can you can you describe what you mean by unexpected in terms of making your ideas stick? Yeah, I, I think there's there's a quote that I remember from um, from one source that, that they said the aha experience is often preceded by the huh experience, and and what that means for communicators is if we want to get across a message, the first thing we've got to do is earn attention, and a lot of times that can come from posing a mystery. So, um, you know, I saw the cover of a book one time and I remember just being sort of frozen in my tracks by it. The, the title of the book was, why do men have nipples? Whoa. And I remember thinking, I sort of want to know the answer to that. And five <laughs> seconds ago, that was, that was nowhere in my consciousness. Uh, Freakonomics does a great job of this too. Like some of the, uh, things on the, the flap copy of their book are, you know, why do drug dealers so often live with their moms? And so now, you know, you kind of find yourself, well, gosh, that's weird. I wonder why that is. And what's going on there is what uh, George Lowenstein, who uh, is a professor at Carnegie Mellon, what he calls a curiosity gap. And, and what that represents is there's a gap that has been opened up between what we know and what we want to know. And, and his point is that when we become aware that that gap exists, it creates a kind of itch. You know, it's actually modestly unpleasant. And, and the importance of that is it creates a little spark of desire to scratch the itch. In other words, you know, we'll flip through a couple of pages to find out the answers to those things. And, and that's a precious thing if you're a communicator is if you can get the audience to want to know the answer, all of a sudden you've piqued their interest in your idea. I don't know why now I want to know why males have nipples. It's like a it's like an irresistible thing now. I've already ordered the book on Amazon. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you talk about uh, concrete as the next phase. You say you write that a uh, you write that an idea must be grasped in a way that can be remembered later. Which apparently my in, my longing now to know why men have nipples is is that idea. Um, concrete. If I'm struggling, if I'm listening out there and I say, gosh, how do I get my ideas to be remembered after the speaking event, after the radio show, after they see the advertisement? What would be your tip to make your ideas more concrete? Well, it, if you forgive me a brief tangent, uh, it, I think there's a story that, that perfectly illustrates this. So the story starts with uh, a friend of a friend of mine who's a big business traveler. He's always on the road, you know, meeting with clients and whatnot. And, and he was coming back recently from, uh, from a meeting he had in Vegas. And he had a little bit of time to kill on the way back in the Vegas airport. And so he, he walks into a bar, he's going to get a drink. And before he can even order, a young woman approaches him, attractive young woman. She says, Hey, can I buy you a drink? And you know, this is not something that happens to this guy very often. And so he says, well, absolutely. Sure. I'll have a drink. So she goes up to the bar, brings back two drinks, one for her, one for him. They have a cheers moment. 
He's thinking this is the greatest day of my life. Takes a big sip, blacks out. Next thing he remembers is waking up some untold amount of time later in a strange hotel bathtub full of ice. And there's a sign on the wall of the tub when he kind of comes to and it says, don't move, call 911. And fortunately, there's a cell phone right by the tub. So he picks it up, calls 911. The operator asks him to describe the situation and he's panicked and describes what he's seeing. And the operator says, sir, can you reach behind you in the tub and see if there's a tube sticking out of your back. And so he does that. And sure enough, there's a tube. Oh, my oh. goodness. He oh. says, what, what in the world is happening to me? I don't understand. And the operator says, sir, stay right where you are. I've called the paramedics. There's a ring of organ thieves in town, and they've gotten to you. They've harvested one of your kidneys. Sick. This is known as the Kidney Thieves Urban Legend. It is one of the most successful kind of viral sticky ideas of the last few decades. Let let me let me comfort all of you. This is false. Oh, it did not oh my oh. goodness! Oh, uh, I was oh. reaching. I was trying to feel like there was a tube on my back. Oh, <laughs> oh. And so the question is: anywhere you go in the world, they've heard some version of the story, and you know the details are different. In India, it's not going to be Vegas. It's going to be Mumbai, and um, and but it always has the kind of core elements of this story. And, and the question is, why is this so sticky? And, and so back to your question about concreteness. Concreteness means that we use visual, sensory language. And the importance of that is a month from now, you know, long after you've forgotten listening to this podcast, long after you've forgotten my name or the book's name or anything else, you'll be able to retell this story perfectly. And when you retell it, you won't be remembering the precise words that I used, like remembering a credit card number or something. Instead, what's going to happen is you're going to replay the film that I just embedded into your brain. And you're going to see those images and you're going to narrate to them. And you may well use almost totally different language, and yet the core of it will be the same. And the reason you'll be able to do that is that I used concrete language in telling that tale. And What's so important about that is in the business world, it's almost like we have an allergy to concrete language. All right, Thrive Nation, to hear the rest of our exclusive interview with Dan Heath, the New York Times bestselling author of the book Made to Stick, go to thrivetimeshow.com and you can listen to the podcast of our interview with Dan Heath. Now, without any further ado, Chelp, you always want to end this show with a three, two, and a one, and then, and then a boom. So here we go. Three, three two, two, one, boom! boom. Get ready to enter the Thrive Time Show. Started from the bottom, now we hit. Started from the bottom, and we'll show you how to get here. Started from the bottom, now we hit. Started from the bottom, now we hit. We started from the bottom, now we're on the top. Teaching you the systems to get what we got. Cutting Dixons on the hooks. I break down the books. Z's bringing some wisdom and the good looks. As the father of five, that's why I'm a dive. So if you see my wife and kids, please tell them hi. It's a C. Up on your radio, and now three, two, one, here we go! All right, Thrive Nation, welcome back to the Thrive Time Show on your radio. And for those of you listening to the radio show, see, during the first hour, we had an hour of power. Oh. If you missed it, you've got, you have no choice but to go back and listen to the podcast, which is free. It's free. It's free. It's a requirement. I'm telling you what, that was some hot sauce. What we a sharp guy. We interviewed Dan Heath, the best-selling author of four books. Uh, he and his brother Chip, these guys have written uh, Decisive, 
Switch. A lot of people know them from the book Made to Stick. Uh, and now their newest book, Power of Moments. And I'm, I'm just telling you, if you're out there and you want your ideas to catch on, if you're trying to f- uh, share something in a way that gets stuck in the minds of the people you're sharing it with, if you want to communicate more effectively, you really do need to listen to the first half of our radio show and the podcast version of today's show. Now, Chuck, we had a question that was emailed into us from a member of the Thrive Nation, a man by the name of Josiah. Yep. We won't mention his last name, but we'll go with the first name, Josiah. And uh, could you read the email that he sent in? And I'm going to let Z uh, uh, kind of... Break it down? uh, I'm going to have Z start off by answering the question. Then I'll sort of... uh, You're going to one-up me? You're going to one-up me? And if you're just just tuning in, I wanted to throw this out there for Dan, too. Uh, You can check out his work at... he, uh, He... Heath Brothers. You got <laughs> so com. emotional with you. <laughs> Heathbrothers.com, or he's got a podcast called Choiceology. So look that up, okay? Okay, nice. Okay, and so here's the Thrive question. He says, My name is Josiah. I'm 17 years old, and currently I'm going to be a senior at blank high school. I've attended the in-person workshop. It's a weird name for a high school, it, it by is. the way. It is. It's very average, very vanilla. Yeah. Um, he says, I have attended the in-person workshop, and I listen to the podcast every day. And I just got through with a conversation with my parents, and they want me to go to college and get a business degree. And because I have Indian blood, I can go to college for really cheap. Time out. Yup. Start there. Um, here would be the question I would ask Dr. Z. Let's say that you knew you had 10 years left to live and you were 18 years old. Um, whether you had Indian blood or not, whether you could go to college for free or it cost a lot of money, whether you had all the money to pay for college or not, whether you... Really, the decision about throw out the Indian heritage, throw out what your parents think, who, if they have 10 years left to live, who out there should be going to college and who shouldn't be? If someone had 20 years left to live, if someone has their whole lifetime in front of them, who should be going to, because there's all these variables people insert into this narrative. In your mind, who should be going to college and who should not be going to college? If the career, the business you want to start, and, and if you do want to be an entrepreneur, okay, so let's preface, I mean, a lot of guys out there want to get a good job and just work for somebody. And in order to do that, you may have to have a business degree or you may have to have a degree to get into their club to work for them, okay? So that's one mindset over here, okay? Hey, you want to be a W-2, punch the clock? We know 70% of all people out there working right now, punching the clock, are not happy punching the clock. They'd rather punch something else. <laughs> But I would say that the people that need to go are those that want to be in a profession where they have to have the licensing, i.e., like me, an optometrist. I could have said, well, I don't want to go to college. I'm just going to do a long weekend in Puerto Rico and learn how to say one. Is this better one or two? And, I'm going to fake it. Pff, I'll get it done. No, I, I had to to get the degree so that I could start my business. Uh, and, and then, you know, because I wanted to be, I was an entrepreneur trapped in an optometrist body. Right. And so, you know, it, it depends on the story. But to just say, hey, listen, hey, if he's saying, and, and Chep didn't really finish the whole thing on that, but if he's saying, listen, I want to be, I'm an entrepreneur, I know it, I want to be an entrepreneur, do I need to go and get a business degree? Is that the, is that the flavor of what I'm hearing from you, Chep? Yeah, so just real quick, we'll say that, um, you know, that, so the plan was maybe to go to TCC for two years and get a degree, uh, but he's trying to find out if it's truly valuable to go. And he goes on to say um, that, you know, I believe that, your podcast and in-person workshops have helped me grow tremendously, uh, not only in knowledge of business, but it helps me grow into an even better person. And so he's wanting to just know if there's a value in a college degree. So I also know my parents are neither wrong nor right because college worked for them, but I feel my heart that it's not for me. Thank you for taking the time to read this. Yeah. So, so therefore I would say if you, if you're really an entrepreneur, 
Josiah, and you want to start your own business and you want to grow that business, um, you know, start off making it a job and then we turn it into a business. You want to follow the steps. You know, college is just about acquiring the information that you need to be successful. You following me? Yep. And unfortunately, unfortunately, the fast changing environment that we live in, that the businesses are running now, changes so quickly. I mean, how, how many times has Google changed the rules on how to get to the top of Google? Always. Always up <laughs> always. 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 So you go to you go to college and learn what's applicable today. You gotta keep you gotta keep learning because things the, the rules of the games are changing. It's so much easier and cheaper to start a business right now. And I would encourage Josiah to say, Hey, listen, if that's really your goal, then you don't need to go you don't need to go to college to get the information you need to start and grow a business. I've I've met Josiah. I'll just say this, and I know that the young man marches to the beat of his own drummer, and so I do believe that he has that kind of different factor, that it factor of an entrepreneur. Fantastic. So if, it, if it's what works for you, my man, then just go for it. I'm going to give some really hardcore uh, uh, oh, uh, oh answers no. here to Josiah. Oh, no. Oh, no. <gasps> oh, no. So Peter Thiel, uh, this is one of the early investors in Facebook, and he's a venture capitalist. This is a notable quotable from Peter Thiel. He, said, he says, college gives people learning and also takes away future opportunities by loading you down with debt. Also, if you read the Business Insider article, uh, it says, actually, college grads are more likely to be bartenders than engineers. I would say this. If I am a pastor, I've met so many pastors, so many, I've, I've helped so many pastors. I've worked personally with dozens of pastors. Every pastor will tell you, congregation, we need you to volunteer some more. I mean, Z, you got to volunteer. Z, you've got to volunteer gotta some do more. It. At such and such church, the number one thing you could do is to give back. If I'm a financial advisor, financial advisors have a bias, and they say, Z, you got to save 20%. You, you got to save. Z, because here's the thing you want to retire by the age of 50. Wouldn't that be great if you could save and you could? And then if you're out there and you're a, a, a really, a, I remember I had a fanatical, a, 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 just a maniacal, a fanatical gym teacher in high school. And this guy, Mr. Ernst, he used to say, Clay, if you don't start off every day with 200 push ups and 200 sit ups, you're, you're, basically your life is it's just ruined. It's a, pizza, it's a bunch of crap. Your life sucks. And then there's people out there that think you should go to a marriage seminar every week, every month, every quarter. You need to go. Everybody has their own bias there. So, Josiah, I'm probably the only person that's going to ask you this question. I'm asking you, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? And then back to what Z's advice was. If what you want to do requires a degree, then absolutely go get that degree. But, Chup, you went to business college, and do you ever use anything you learned at the business college? Uh, no. Literally, I had two business degrees, marketing and management, and I, I mean, hate to say it, but it was nothing applicable. It was just kind of a waste of time. My entire time at St. Cloud State University, I studied psychology, social science, humanities. I've never used any of those subjects. People say, well, you meet the best friends of your life. I'm not a friend with a single person I went to college with at Oral Roberts University, St. Cloud State. I don't talk to, I'm not literally not a single person I went to college with. And the people that I met in college are the people I don't talk to. Yeah, but you often bring up the deep knowledge you learned. This me the, the, the Mes Mesopotamia River Valley. I know you 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 talk about that on other shows and how much that's influenced yeah. you and how big an impact that I'm has on your life. I'm just saying is like I I didn't I mean just I don't I mean I every Friday we we get together with a couple or every Saturday night I don't get together with a single person from college I don't talk to a single person from college there's not nobody from college that's helped me get anywhere in life um, so for me I wanted to become a disc jockey then I wanted to own companies so for me college was a, was a complete waste of time. 
time. I wish I would not have gone. However, for some people out there, I mean, I work with a lot of dentists, doctors, lawyers, and man, you could be highly motivated to be self-employed, but see, you can't get a degree as a, you can't become an optometrist by watching a series of YouTube videos. So I want to ask Corey's, Corey Mentor's <laughs> take on this. Corey Mentor, you own Trinity Employment, and that company has been able to uh, create financial freedom and time freedom for your family, where you and your wife get a yeah. chance to have the financial and time freedom to do a lot of things that most people cannot do. Um, you, you guys have a great life you've built for yourself, and Trinity Employment is still continuing to grow. What's your take on college? Because you are a real deal entrepreneur. Well, it's it's interesting because I, I love hearing what you had to say because on our end, we're always talking to graduates who have just graduated with general degrees. And a lot of times they're coming to us, Clay, because they have done everything they can to try to find a job. And a degree has been so diluted now because everyone goes and gets it following the, the premise of what you guys are saying that now you have these college graduates getting out and they are really struggling getting a job making 10 12 you know $13 an hour right. and when when they come to us they come to us wanting to make you know 40 50 grand a year starting out and we tell them listen with what you know right now employers are likely not going to hire you because you don't have any experience and they're like no 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 i've been told i'm going to make this and we're like okay just if it right. doesn't work out, come see us, <laughs> and you would be surprised oh. at how many uh, people come see us. Corey, like, yes. I wanna, real quick, I want to hit on this. I want to give you some statistics because you're, oh, you're, what you're saying is accurate, but the Washington Post did a study here, and it came out that only 27% of people are actually able to use their college degree. Well, I 27%. don't use mine. I don't know people that do except for professional trades. Everybody I know is like, yeah, I graduated in business. I remember at or Oral Roberts University, my wife went to class with a guy. And this is so funny. My wife graduates. See, she graduated in the top probably 5% of her class. Well, of course Not, not the number did. one, but top 5%. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. And I remember her dad says, Vanessa, I'm so proud that you got the degree. And Vanessa goes, if Will graduated with a degree, Will's a guy in her class, if Will got a degree, my degree means nothing. Because this guy couldn't spell, he couldn't think. Furthermore, he didn't even go to class. I have many guys I went to college with at Oral Roberts University. I'm not kidding. The athletes, the basketball players, I'm just saying this. I don't really care what Oral Roberts University thinks about it. I have friends of mine who went to Oral Roberts University under the Richard Roberts regime that never attended a class ever. Ever. And graduated with A's and B's. Never he had gone to class. Yeah. I mean, I have friends of mine who went to Oklahoma State University and said, you know, we actually stood up and did an ovation they did an ovation when a guy showed up to class because he had never been there. Chuck, did you ever go to class with That athletes? happened to me. That happened really? to me. Really? Yeah. It happened to you? Yeah. That was late. you. That was, was you. 15 minutes late to a big, you know, freshman level 200-person lecture class. I have a buddy who went to OU, and he yep. said that one of the safeties showed up to class yep. the first time ever as a senior. And they were like, yes! Woo! <laughs> he was exactly, like, yeah. just a bunch of crap. Back to you, though, Chuck. Exactly what happened. So it was a quarterback, <laughs> and he walked in with about eight guys behind him, and they announced his, cut off the professor, announced his name. Mr. Blank Blank, everybody. So yeah. I'm just telling you, college, <laughs> by and large, is a shamockery. So, oh wait a uh, second, that school must be named after him. It was blank school that they. Yeah, that's right. That's, no. that's the guy. <laughs> Josiah knows what after. I'm So about. the oh statistics I'm going to leave you with is: if you want to become a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, an architect, absolutely you need a degree. But if you have desires to own your own business someday, and you're not sure what that business is, the best thing you could do is go work. Go work. For an entrepreneur, and Z, here's the cold call. Boop, 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 boop. Is this Dr. Z? Oh, yeah. 
Dr. Z, my name's Clay Clark, and I'd like to work for you for free for the next year. And I've got a side job that I can you know, pay my bills. I just want to work for you for free because I want to learn entrepreneurship. Is there any way possible oh. I could work for free or at least interview? Absolutely. I and like your style. And that's what Show happens. That's how it works. We come back from the break. We had a thriver who emailed us, how do you build strategic partnerships? How do you do I mean, think I know that you're out there and you might say, gosh, if I could just get a key endorsement from somebody who's a big kahuna, that kahuna. could change my life. But before we but before we go to the break, Z, I want to tell all the listeners out there about a great company called Hood CPA. Z, you have, we have Paul Hood on the show once uh, a week. He's a great guy. He's a great American. He's an accountant. He has thousands of customers in Claremore, Bartlesville, and Tulsa. So if you're looking for an accountant who is as proactive about your life and your business as you are, go to hoodcpas.com. What was that? It's hoodcpas.com. What was that? Why are you whispering? It's hoodcpas.com. Stay tuned. And now, from the center of the universe... Welcome back to the Thrive Time Show on your radio. My name is Clay Clark. I'm the former U.S. SBA Entrepreneur of the Year, and that was Colton Dixon, the pop music star. Unbelievable. Oh, he's just bringing so the hooks. Z's bringing the good looks. I'm breaking down the business books. It just, oh, uh, oh, It's oh. just so, so now, good. Now, real quick, before we get into this next question, we have a guy named Mike who wants to, he, he emailed Mike, Mike, in a Mike. question, wanted to know about how to uh, gain strategic partners. Before we get into that, during the break, Z, a lot of people want to know, you know, what happens during the break? You guys go we, had Marshall, we had a Marshall, moment. We had a Marshall. And I had, you I had a... have requested, Dr. Zellner, you've requested what now with Marshall? You, you, you informed Marshall about a big decision. I mean, big LeBron pie. James is in a contract year. It's, it's known as the decision. When, the when decision. Z, every year, Z heading into the NFL football year, I call it the decision. And the every decision. year, he says, I've decided to continue for my 30th year in a row to be a Cowboys fan. Decision. Year 31, I, 32, I, 33, he's 52. This goes on each year. Each and year. And now you're 52. You're 52 right now? 53. You look 52. Yeah. Thank you, you, well, though. you look actually 25, <laughs> but you sound 52. Well, your eyes obviously need to get uh, examined yeah. again. So, so you, though, but for years, though, you've said, hey, Cowboys, Cowboys, oh, yeah. check the box, Cowboys. Check the box. And all of a sudden, you give me that crazy eye. You make during the break, you give me that crazy eye. I go, what's going on? I think, and you, you told Marshall something profound. I did. I, I think it all started years ago when I got into fantasy football. You really started kind of following players instead of teams. Oh. So that mindset kind of is now emanating through my mind. And with some of the moves that the Cowboys have been doing of late. Ugh. Um, so anyway, I, I have a, I'm a big fan of a young player. Drafted number one overall, Baker Mayfield. And he went to Marshall's beloved team. The Cleveland Browns. Yes. The Browns. Now, real quick. I, I announced I'm going to be a Browns fan this year. I'm going to get a jersey. Marshall and I can bond. We're going to get a secret handshake. Secret handshake. We're going to. We're going to. Oh, yeah. Roll out the barrel. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. There we go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why you like Baker Mayfield. 
His story is a lot like the kind of story that when you listen to it, it just inspires you. He was um, a walk-on, um, left the team, walked on another team, no scholarship, was really not treated the way you know he should have been treated. And then he goes on to dominate and win the Heisman Trophy. He's the first player ever to be a college walk-on twice to two different universities. Oh, by the way. Oh, by the way. Uh, and win the Heisman Trophy. How tall is he? He's six foot one and a change. I feel like that if you, how tall are you? Five foot nine and maybe a little less. I feel like <laughs> that if you were six foot one and played football, you would do the same things that he does on the field after a touchdown. Well, one thing that I've that he I, brings the swag. You bring the swag. Well, one thing that I still he can't dominates. get my head wrapped around yes. is why you're not a professional athlete. I don't know. I mean, you're you're you got the size, you got the cranium, there, you just not swing that head around. There's not enough The helmets, you got to oh. get a big helmet. Well, it could have been a basketball player because I knew oh. he had he had the work ethic. Ups. I'm just I'm just saying, as you you my friend, when you, you you like to you're 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 disciplined, you're a grinder. But Z, when you get in the end zone, I mean, this oh, year this year the Christmas party. I mean, it's you did what I would call what? Show how would you describe the move? The move. I mean, he left streaks on the dance floor. It was like a side. It was like a side split. Side split. Hop to the next. Oh, that was crazy. And so, Mike, when we're, we're answering your questions, I'm going to tell you this. Two things are going on. One, we're 100% focused on your question when we're not 100% focused on Z just switching to be a Cleveland Brown fan. This it, is like a woo! this is a game-changing event. Did hot. you see Marshall light up? I'm so excited. I, I right lit now. up. I don't even I know mean, why I'm drank, excited. I drank the Kool-Aid. I drank oh, the Brown I think he got a little taller, actually. He's, yeah. It's pretty exciting. Friends, you're you're going to look good in orange and brown. I probably will. <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> like a ninth, like a nineteen, like a nineteen seventies new home construction. You're gonna look great in orange and brown. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. So now we move on. The question is from Mike. He writes: We are launching a fun new backyard game called Such and Such on Kickstarter. Wondering if you have any marketing ideas on driving traffic to Such and Such, or strategic partners or micro influencers to promote a fun new product. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tee it up here real quick here. Um, a friend of ours, Z, a mutual acquaintance, a person we know, uh, Jill Donovan. She's yes. been on the Thrive Time Show videos before. Oh yeah. Uh, her product is called uh, Rustic Cuff. So Mike, you want you want to check that up? Check put on the show notes. Rustic Cuff. And uh, Z, how would you describe the Rustic Cuff products? They are um, you know homemade um, accoutrements for your wrist. Decorative, like decorative bracelets. They're like, they're like cuffs that are rustic. Oh, that's nice. That's no, amazing. That's oh my gosh, this is like he's wearing really deep. Oh, okay. but she she's created these products. It's jewelry. It's jewelry, right? That a woman wears on her wrist, and they are ranging from leather to metals to combinations thereof with different designs and colors. So, so, so what she did is she actually decided that she was going to get in with some influencers. Like it sounds like you want to do. And so I wish I could tell you about, oh, well, Jill came up with this idea, and all of a sudden she just caught on. No, what she did is she decided to mail out free rustic cuffs to some of the biggest names in music and fashion. And, and so if you, I'll put up on the, on the big screen here so you guys can see this. She started mailing out, I mean, rustic cuffs to Z. Z she, she mailed out rustic cuffs to Oprah. Yeah, Miranda Lambert. You know. uh, and Oprah wore one. Miranda Lambert wore them. Britney Spears wore them. Z, she's mailed them out to every, I mean, every major celebrity you could possibly think of. And the majority of the celebrities said no. They said, no, I'm not going to wear it. They didn't even call her. They just, they didn't wear them. But she just was very persistent, 
mailing these out over and over and over. And eventually she started getting some big influencers. And because she got some of the biggest names in, in music and in Hollywood to wear her rustic cuffs, there was that top-down influence. She got the people at the top of the, of the food chain, so to speak, to wear the product. And that created that celebrity endorsement that made her product catch on. But one, her product was great. That's step one, Mike. Make your product great. But two, Z, I mean, she got rejected by thousands of people, if you think about it. I mean, very few people said yes, but now everybody says yes because she was rejected by so many influencers at the top of the food chain. It's amazing that, and she you know, didn't uh, bother her. She just kept it on, kept going, and knew that one out of a couple of hundred that would wear them would be seen by all their fans and would create that. I remember when I was a kid, a couple of cool kids in school started wearing the shoes called Nike. Oh, tell and, us the story. And and you were like, what's that? What's that? They were cool. They were white with a red swipe on them. I remember the base Nike back in the day. What's happening? What shoes are you oh, wearing? This is a cool kid. Whatever the cool kid wore, we all wanted to wear. Because we're thinking, hey. Hey, man. I want to be cool. Right. I mean, that's apparently, the apparently that's what cool kids do. Right. And so that's what happens is, is that you find the parade and you get in front of it. And the parade is, like, Oprah has a huge following. The Church of Oprah, right? Right. Um, and so you get Oprah to endorse it, i.e. by wearing it, and now all of a sudden, you got a big deal. You know, we come back from the break, we're going we're gonna to break down some more questions from Thrivers just like you who have questions. You've emailed in to info at thrivetimeshow.com. And we have one specific Thriver up there in Kansas City who emailed us, how do I proactively grow my carpet installation company? Stay tuned. It's the Thrive Time Show. What a radio. Three, two, one, boom. You are now entering the dojo of Mojo and the Thrive Time Show. Thrive Time Show on the microphone. What is this? Top of the iTunes charts in the category of business. Drilling down on business topics like we are a dentist. Providing you with mentorship like you are an apprentice. And we go so fast that you might get motion sickness. Grab a pen and pad to the lab. Let's get in this. It's time to bear some fruit like some Florida oranges. Three, two, one. Here come the business ninjas. Sonic boom. Ah, oh, Thrive Nation from coast oh. to coast. Welcome back to the Thrive Time Show on your radio, your daily audio dojo of Mojo Faux Show, where we break down the moves that you need, Z, to down. make break it down. Mo. I mean, we're like break dancers. Yeah, we get us a linoleum. I mean, get out the linoleum. Where's a, card- the where's a cardboard box? You where's can a good open cardboard up when box you need when it. You need it. That's Jump, a- get us some cardboard boxes. For goodness sakes, come on. Now, on today's show, we had a Thriver out there in Kansas City that emails us, and they said, Hey, how do I grow my company proactively? I feel like I got burning fires everywhere. I constantly am trying to grow, but every day I'm just reacting to the day. I mean, how do you how do you grow a company? And so here's the overview of this particular uh, person. His name is Bill. It's a flooring installation company, and it's in, based in Kansas City. About half of their business is residential, and about half of their business is commercial. And they do vinyl, pre-finished wood. Uh, luxury vinyl, tile, and plank, ceramic. Uh, he's 57. He'd like to retire before the age of 65. Really needs to increase the profits so that he can either sell the business or he can retire. And he's too involved in the day-to-day aspects of the company. So, see, I'm going to walk him through the steps that he needs to take okay. to create time freedom. Walk him through. And I'd like for you, as an entrepreneur, to maybe uh, you know share with Bill what the 
areas where a lesser entrepreneur would struggle. Now, now does he is he just an installer of these products? He owns the he owns the business that installs them. That it looks like here it says here they install okay vinyl pre-finished wood luxury vinyl tile and plank and ceramic. Wow, I didn't know we had luxury vinyl. That's well, kind of cool. See, there, I learned something. <laughs> luxury vinyl. Luxury vinyl. There we go. Okay, we're ready. Come on, break them down. Okay, that, is that like uh, Z? What, what is it? Is it imitation genuine leather? Yes, exactly. Like, okay. Yeah. All right. So step number one. Step number one. Uh, I would say for Bill, you've got to design a schedule of how you want it to be, and then as soon as possible, start to get that into uh, orbit. So you've got to set up a weekly interview. If you're a small business owner and you don't have time to interview quality candidate, you've got to book that weekly group interview. Book a set time. Um, at Thrive, Marshall does it every single Wednesday at 5 p.m. We interview people every single Wednesday at 5. You've got to do a daily huddle to make sure your team knows what they're doing so there's not any burning fires from them not knowing what to do. And you've got to know those key performance indicators that you're following up on daily so you don't drift. So, Z, when you're designing an optimized schedule, but you're coming from a place of absolute chaos, or maybe in Bill's situation, he's just perpetually busy putting out fires, why is it so hard to design an optimized schedule? One, because you're so busy, you don't, even t- you don't think you have time to design, to even schedule the schedule. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It does make sense. And so, one of the main things I hear from business owners is, I don't do it because I don't have the time to do it. And so that's one of the things we teach in our in-person workshops, which is so important, is time management and understanding the value of that. Also understanding that uh, I bet if I looked at your day with a little microscope, I could, I could find areas in time that we would think are wasteful. Facebooking, Netflixing, Snapspacing. My charting. And what happens is you first have to grab some time, and that means making sacrifices. Why do I have to stop watching the voice voice? I don't know. I don't know. And then what you do is you take control of your schedule. And one of the first things you need to do as a business owner in order to do that is you need to say, hey, what am I doing that I can hire out someone to do? What, I mean, what uh, am I doing that I don't need to be doing? What are the things I don't need to be doing? Right. I mean, are you cleaning your own bathrooms? Free up 10 hours a week, maybe five hours a week. Are you Free doing your own accounting? Are you doing payroll? Are you doing what? I mean, you're doing all the calculations. I mean, what, what are you doing that you think that you have to be doing? So you got to ask yourself, well, how can I free up five hours a week, 10 hours a week? What should I not be doing? Now, step number two, Wes Carter, uh, for small business owners, you see this all the time. You're an attorney. You guys represent uh, everybody from TD Jakes to Joyce Meyer, big businesses, small businesses. Yes. How many times do you see where a small business owner invoices their way to, to death? They invoice somebody, they never get paid. Invoice, never get paid. How often do you see that where a small business owner is essentially operating as a bank, but they can't afford to do so? Well, very often, and not even just small, but medium business owners. Sometimes oh. you've, been, you've been doing okay, and then you catch yourself, your clients get bigger and bigger, those projects get bigger and bigger, and next thing you know, you've got... 800 900 a million dollars sick in outstanding accounts receivable then i get a call and have to threaten to sue them and foreclose on their houses and all that fun stuff so yeah you you want to get paid as soon as possible uh you don't want to extend credit and you don't want to if they're behind on a net 30 for instance don't let them go to 60 stop giving them more stuff so how do you set that up to where uh, day one where you don't get in that trap because everybody wants the deal. Right. And then, then right there before the deal's inked, so to speak, then they go, yes. oh, by the way, I mean, I pay you like, like 
30, oh, 60, I 90, do like, right? I do mid-90. I mean, you know, and they don't, they don't want to lose the deal. Right. So what would you say to, to a guy say, to keep him out of the trap? Yeah, so a couple things here. One, have some resources available where you can say, hey, look, I'm not a bank, but I have some friends that do this kind of stuff. You can go to A, B, or C, and they will help you with financing. Right. At a minimum, at least say, in your contract, if you don't pay me in 30, there's steep penalties that you're going to pay as, me even more. As did my pool guy today. My pool guy said, if you want to pay cash, we do a deal for that. If you guys yeah. want to secure outside financing, we do that. But he gave us options today. He had outside options. Now, Marshall, step three, we got to optimize your Google map. If you want to get time freedom, it might seem like a minute detail, but why do you have to optimize your map in Google? You got to optimize your map in Google because the Google map is going to be one of the things that you can do immediately that will start creating results. So I implemented this with one of my clients out in California, and I kid you not, after two weeks of executing this system, two weeks, I don't think he's they st- they started they started coming up top in Google for the different search terms that we were optimizing them for. But you check this out on Forbes. Forbes on Forbes, they say that eighty eight percent eighty eight percent of consumers will read reviews and view it as a personal recommendation before buying. Eighty eight percent. But Marshall, you're with a company in New Orleans that does clinical trials. That's and right. These guys. Uh, they get Google reviews. Does it work for them, too? It works for them, too. It doesn't matter what the industry is because we're talking about dealing with humans here, and humans, humans are going to go do due diligence. So you're saying if someone's looking for a plastic the surgeon, they're going to do the, the Google? Yes. Oh, t- holy God. You're telling me if someone's <laughs> trying to build a pool in their backyard, they're going to do the Google? Yes. Oh, my God. It's just crazy. It's crazy. you got to get reviews, and you got to do it on a weekly basis, okay? you got to get seven to ten reviews every single week. Seven to ten Google reviews every single week. Step number five, Marshall. You've got to create a Google canonically compliant website. What does it mean to be Google Google canonically compliant? Why do I have to do it? Well, canonically compliant, all that means is you have to follow all of the Google rules uh, that they uh, have set up. These rules. are things like your HTML sitemap, XML sitemap. Uh, um, we have different uh, sheets that can educate you on all the different things that you have to do, and it's actually on or in the back of the Start Here book, it's the SEO manifesto, uh, manifesto written by Jonathan Kelly. So Jonathan Kelly wrote the SEO manifesto, and uh, you can get that at the back of the Start Here book. But Amazon you can download for free by going to thrivetimeshow.com. So if you're out there and you say, I don't know what this Start Here book is that you reference, you can get that book today simply by going to thrivetimeshow.com. Also, if you want to save money off your printer and office supplies, go to onyximaging.com. That's onyximaging.com. Stay tuned. And now broadcasting live from the box that rocks, it's the Thrive Time Business Coach Radio Show. Top of high of learning and high of earning. Taking you to the top like we're hiking Mount Vernon. We're changing the mindsets like we're incense burning. Passing on the magic like our name was Irvin. Serving up that knowledge like I was a servant. I cite what I say so you know I'm not a servant. A thrive time show, bringing the heat while fervent. Giving it to you straight in the world that swerves. Stacking the cash, making the dash. Earning the plaques, bringing it back. Bring me the track so I can get up on the mic and speak the facts. Stacking the cash, making the dash. Earning the plaques, bringing it back. Bring me the track so I can get up on the mic and speak the facts. Hello, Thrive Nation. Welcome back to the Thrive Time Show on your radio. And if your name is Bill and you have a carpet sales and installation company in Kansas City, this one is for you. You're 57. You want to retire before you're 65 or walking you down the proven path 
for growing a successful company capable of creating both time freedom and financial freedom for you. And step number six, Dr. Z, you've got to create a no-brainer ad that works. Now, on the show notes, for sake of time, we're going to list a bunch of examples for you. But Z, what is a no-brainer and why does Bill and every other entrepreneur out there have to create a no-brainer? Here's what you need to do is picture the last time you saw or heard an ad that was so compelling, so motivating, so, good. so overwhelming so sexy. that you had no choice but to pick up your phone and say to yourself, I've got to call this business. I've got to call this business. I, I, I have no choice. I have no choice. I don't even want, don't even want or it. need the product. I, need, but, I don't even want it. But I, I have to have it now. I have to have it. The deal is so good. I'd be a fool. I would be an idiot. Here's my credit card. Not what do you call. charge? Here's my credit card. Not what do you charge? Just charge me. So what's that number again? What's that number? Because I'm calling. Oh, yeah. Do you guys take credit? I'm calling. And that's what a no-brainer does. So I know a lot of people that spend a lot of money in advertising, and I see their ads, and I go, ooh, that, mm, that's not good. That's not good. Can I tell you the one that gets go, me every night? Oh, go, go. gosh, what is it? It's like when you get to a place at night, Wes, have you ever, have you ever been up to a place, and I used to do this in college all the time, but it's like... Two in the morning, everyone's gone to bed. I was still trying to get my invoicing done, get my receipts done, get my schedule built for the DJs. It's like three in the morning. Yeah, Snuggy time. And back in the day, remember when TV used to go off? It'd go boop at ABC, CBS. Yeah. So you'd flip it. Well, first you got the green bars. You got the red, the red, white, and blue bars and the green bars, all the different colors. And then it would boop. And it would, so you'd flip it to a different station like ESPN or something. And it would get kind of late, Wes. Do you remember this? Like four in the morning, five, oh, and yeah. the infomercials start coming on. The Ronco guy. Oh yeah. And the Ronco's like asthmatic. You can you can dehydrate. Uh, you, typically at a store, you buy a fourteen. Uh, it's fourteen dollars for a packet of the the uh, beef jerky. But now with this system, it only does it for four dollars a pound. You're like, oh my gosh, that's so good. And you're yeah. going, nah, I'm not going to fall. But here's the deal. Not only are we typically it's it's four dollars a pound, but with our current special, we'll include this one. So it's only two dollars a pound. And 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 now now and there's more. We're going to include the slicer, the dicer, the boom, and the bang. And all of a sudden, you're going. Ah, uh, and they go, and an orange peeler. And you're like, I need I the it. orange peeler. Oh, my peeler. gosh. And a knife an that peeler. can cut through a shoe. And the audience starts to go, wow. wow. Every time, wow. And then you're like, this is this is a scam. I'm going to a different station. So you flip back to the station with that sweet old man. Yes. Like Santa Claus. Yeah. And he's like, do you want to feed a child? Mm. A child for as little as a dollar a day? This kid right here, you want to feed him for a dollar a day? And you're thinking... I gotta change the channel back to the other guy because this guy's pretty heavy-handed. Yeah. So you go back to the guy with the with the dehydrator. Next thing you know, <laughs> he's you're, cutting you, a boot now. Right. Next it's thing you know, it's not only a shoe; it's a boot. Next thing you know, you're getting some like ab machine or some Ronco dehydrator. Yeah, shaker weight. Have you ever bought something? Z, have you ever bought something like that? An infomercial? I mean, Wes, have you ever bought an infomercial product? Oh, I'm a sucker. Yes. Have you? What, yeah. was, what was your favorite what was your, infomercial? Yeah. What was your What was the What was your move? What was your deal? Uh, my favorite by far was the Foreman Grill. Oh, I, yeah, I bought so that. So handy in college. No, and the thing I didn't, yeah. I didn't buy it when it was on sale. I bought it when it was, not when it was on liquidation. I bought it when they said the first fifty callers that yeah. call right uh, now, and I'm like, uh, yeah. I have I, to call. Come I on, do this. I'm doing trying it. to dial, fumbling with the numbers, hoping that you hit the right digits. Yeah. Someone answers the phone, and you're going, "Gosh, am I one of the first 50? They go, "You're yes, 47." You are. Of course, yeah. every time. Right, and so every time the deal was so hot. Hot sauce. And I've read the Ronco book on how he sold those infomercial products. And it's it just, there's a science to it, but the deal's got to be so good people can't say no mm. to it. And then once people go to your website, 
Marshall, why do you have to have retargeting ads turned on that follow you around the internet to every freaking website you go the, to? There's a book called The Retargeting Playbook, oh, so and good. what you find in that book is that people won't engage with a product or engage with a brand or fill out a form until they see your ad 4.7 times, okay? So they might come to the website, but not actually fill out the form. So these retargeting ads are actually going to follow them around the internet. It's like when you go to Amazon.com, you're looking at products, and all of a sudden, loofahs are following you all around the internet. Loofahs. Wow, yeah, loofahs. loofahs. Wow. Yeah, it's wow. so, kind of weird. Uh, yeah, well, I wish it's my experience on it. Oh, I uh, see, so, I see. Yeah, um, okay. but but the retargeting ads they'll follow you around, and so whatever website that you're on, they will actually have ads uh, for your particular brand. You got to have those retargeting uh, retargeting ads to get them back to your website. Now, which I might add, yes, and I have stated this before, is slight to moderately. Creepy. creepy, creepy. Oh yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's, I, I noticed it's like Big Brother's watching. I noticed when I was at the office, uh, Marshall uses the office computers a lot. Yeah. And I go into a client meeting, and I'm like going to ESPN, and they're like, "Hey, um, they kind of look at me, I look at them, you know." And I pulled up the site to show them how online advertising retargeting works. I said, "When you go to a site, these ads will follow you around, no matter what site you've gone to." And I see these farm singles. <laughs> you know where you meet Christian single Mingle women, with the, with the Christian the singles who are farmers. It's, yeah. a, it's a select niche who are under. How, Marshall, how old are you? I'm, I'm 27. Who are 27? It's 27 year old Christian Very single farm women who would like to be nurses or teachers in the future. And I mm. thought, wow, wow, this is specific. And it I kept, wonder who was searching. I wonder who was searching that. And all the ads said, "Hey, Marshall, oh, are wow. you looking for a 27 year old who's?" Might be a nurse or a teacher who's a Christian. Who loves farming. Who loves farming. He's a Christian. And I'm not telling my client. And likes tall guys. I don't know why I'm seeing these ads. And I go to the next website, and it's like a site for size, like 15 shoes. Marshall, what size <laughs> shoe do you wear right now? 15. Right? Oh, my god! like, what in the world? Oh. And it's crazy. It's crazy. And then I go to another website, and it's like suits for like tall people who are Big and tall. six foot seven. It says, are you proportional? Oh my God! Are you? Does your body is your body proportional? But are you six foot seven? I mean, How tall are you, Marshall? I'm six seven. Oh God! Oh my gosh! It's just I crazy. think we found. I think we found this the. Is I, weird. I think we. This I think, is weird. I think well, we've just closed. A lot of people when the they loop. get taller, Z, like six foot seven and above, they develop Marfan syndrome. Oh, oh. they Some don't get do. enough oxygen. You know, they get like circles under the eyes. They have big hands, big feet. <laughs> sort of. But this guy is very proportional. Yeah, uh, he's. I appreciate that. That's one of the <laughs> nicest things you've ever said to me. Well, I just said, I wondered why those <laughs> ads least, were... At least he's calling you by your right name now. Yeah, that was a great right. story when you first were DJ yeah. working for him. What did he call you, Brandon? Or? Yeah, he called me Brandon for the first two years. Because oh, you so weren't good. in the top ten of the DJs, <laughs> right. so I didn't want to know your name. Okay, now the next process is step number eight and step number nine. We're going to go fast on these. Step eight, you've got to interview people every single week. Your coach will teach you how the group interview process works. But Wes Carter with Winter's King, the number one attorney, in my opinion out there in the region. Why do you have to set up an interview process every week? Why do you have to never stop interviewing? Well, what happens is you, you need someone and you're going to go through, in my experience, 10, 15 candidates before you find anyone who's even worthy of considering further. So it's when you get in a bind, you let your employees who may be poor performing put you over a barrel. You have to keep bad employees. You need a bullpen there ready to go as soon as you need them. Step number nine is that you got to determine the profit per customer. Why do you have to know, bottom line, how much money you're going to make per job, whether you're installing floors or any other industry? Why do you have to know the profit per customer? Well, it allows you to be flexible to make deals, number one. Number two, mm -hmm. it, it double checks that you are making money. 
You'd be surprised to go on. Oh, wait a second. By the time I've calculated everything, I'm well. I'm not mm. charging enough. Should I pay taxes? <laughs> yeah, taxes. yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm not making well, I gotta make a car payment. Why? Well, that's why they cut my phone off. Um, <laughs> but what happens then is that that can also lead into uh, some other factors that you want to know. But you have to know. But I the other day I had a patient come in, wanted some new glasses. We had messed up the old glasses. I knew what our cost per to make those were, and I knew what my profit was, and it's and I knew how much it cost to bring in a new patient. And so it was going to cost less to make this person happy than to go bring in a new patient. So you, by knowing that, you can make good decisions for your business. Step number 10, you have to determine the number of deals you need to get per week to achieve your goals. Step 11, you've got to do tracking. You've got to track. You have to track. Your coach will help you do that. Step 12, you've got to develop a set weekly time to meet with your team about their key performance indicators. Step 13, you've got to create that workflow. Everyone has to know where they fit into the process, what that process looks like. And then step 14, you've got to create an experience checklist. You've got to make sure that you're doing more than just installing floors, that you're actually wowing your customers. Now, if you've yet to attend one of our in-person Thrive Time Show workshops, Bill, I would encourage you to go to thrivetimeshow.com. Again, that's thrivetimeshow.com. When you go there, you're going to find we have literally over a 1,000 uh, podcasts. We have thousands of videos. We have, uh, you can book your one-on-one business coaching experience right there. You can schedule that. You can book, buy your tickets for our in-person workshop. And Marshall, our next one is June 22nd and June 23rd. Correct. Why should Bill the Thrill attend that workshop? You should come. It's going to be a fire hose of knowledge with practical action steps, and uh, you're going to laugh in the process. It's going to be a lot of fun. Laughing Learning. learning. Z, it's a fabulous event. That's June 22nd and June 23rd. Book your tickets now at thrivetimeshow.com. And now without any further ado, we like to end this with a, with a 3-2-1, Bill. Here we go. 3, three two, 2, 1, boom! boom.